once again through the book of Job. And we're going to be starting this morning, excuse me, this evening, this evening, in Job 15. Job 15. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, good to be here this evening and just a beautiful fall evening, Lord. We just rejoice in your creation. We just rejoice in the time to come together, to be blessed, to be encouraged. We just think of our nation. We give you our nation for wisdom and guidance and direction in all things. Uh, Lord, we never say it lightly, those men and women serving. We just pray you'd be with them. Be with all the kids in the back, all the activity. It means nothing without you, Lord. And Lord, we don't want to just learn here tonight. We want to learn and grow. And then as we grow, then go, Lord. Go out and be a light and a witness where we live and where we work and to make a difference, Lord, for you and all that we say and all that we do. Just guide and direct us in your name. Amen. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do Job 15 through Job 19 here tonight. Now, you've heard me say this every week in our study in the book of Job. As we've gone from the first couple chapters to now about halfway through the book, Job doesn't know what's going on. Job doesn't know he's suffering. Job knows that he's lost his kids, he's lost his possessions, he's lost everything. He doesn't have Job 1 and 2 to know why. And so he's sitting here suffering more than nearly any human probably that's ever existed, and he doesn't know why. As we've said many times out here over the last few weeks, why questions are the questions that we can't answer. I, I can answer who God is. I can answer where you will spend eternity. But there's a lot of why questions I can't answer. And with Job, there's a lot of why. And this is what you have. You have here from Job 3 through Job 38, you have 35 chapters of a group of five men here questioning, asking, and wondering why. Now, we've been talking about this the last few weeks, that they're never going to be able to answer these questions. Everybody says the same thing. All of Job's friends basically said, Job, you've done something wrong. You've sinned. You haven't repented. That's why you're suffering. And Job says, what do you know? And now, about halfway through, they're getting pretty feisty with each other. If you remember correctly, we talked about this a few weeks ago. It's like one of those conversations you may have with a loved one, maybe with your spouse, where it starts out real good, but then as the conversation just kind of drags on and on and on, you find yourself getting into trouble and saying things you probably shouldn't be saying. These guys should have stopped this conversation probably about ten chapters ago and just waited for what the Lord had to say. And we mentioned that last week, and this is a verse that we've been talking about a lot. Proverbs 10.19, Proverbs 10.19, and the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Think about this. How many times have you had those long, drawn-out conversations with somebody you say, wow, by the third hour we really got it figured out? Most of the time it doesn't happen. I like how the New Living Translation says it, Proverbs 10.19. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. That's the New Living Translation. Once again, we're putting that back on the next shirt that we put out here for our church. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Proverbs 10, 19. There's a lot of truth to that, people. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. These guys just keep talking. And they're getting pretty feisty with each other now. So what does Eliphaz have to say? Chapter 15, verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said... Should a wise man answer with empty knowledge and fill himself with the east wind? Should he reason with unprofitable talk or by speeches with what he can do no good? Now, Eliphaz is getting ready here for his second speech, if you will. Everybody's had a chance to go through and say something. So guess what? Everybody's going to go back now and say something again. Once again, you just keep seeing these words coming out when really nothing should have been said. Once again, I like how the New Living Translation says this. 
Eliphaz says in verse 2, A wise man wouldn't answer with such empty talk. You are nothing but a windbag. The wise don't engage in empty chatter. What good are such words? You are nothing but a windbag. Now, if you ever want to use that verse, that is biblical. Just make sure you find the right context and the right pattern when you say that. But this is basically what Eliphaz is saying. He says, Job, you just keep talking, man. You have nothing to say. You just keep talking. You know what the problem is, Job? Verse 4. Here's the problem. You don't fear God. Yes, you cast off fear and restrain prayer before God. See, Job, you don't fear God. That's why all these things are happening to you. Verse 9. What do you know that we do not know? What do you understand that's not in us? Job, what great wisdom do you have that we don't have, Job? How about verse 11? Are the consolations of God too small for you? And the words spoken gently with you, what he's basically saying is, Job, God's comfort's not enough for you? See, this is his friends. Job, what wisdom do you have? You really don't know what's going on. God's comfort's not good enough for you, Job. What do you know? And they keep going back to the same thing. Job, you obviously have sin, and since you have sin and you haven't repented, this is why this is happening. So look what he says in verse 17. I will tell you, hear me. What I have seen, I will declare. Do you have any friends or loved ones or relatives or co-workers that are in Eliphaz? These are the ones that would say, you know what, let me tell you what you should do. You know what I would do. That's what he's basically saying here. Look at verse 17. I will tell you, hear me. What I have seen, I will declare. See, Eliphaz has this all figured out. Let me just tell you what I have seen, and Job, I'll give you all the answers. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize it does not matter what I think, it does not matter what I feel, and it does not matter what I believe my witness is. It's not about me in any way whatsoever. It's about pointing people towards the example of Jesus Christ. And so a lot of times when I'm running into a situation and people are saying, you know, I don't know what I should do. Part of my flesh wants to say, well, you know what? You know what I think you should do? Nah, let's just point you back towards Christ. If you ever run into somebody and you're counseling with them or talking to them and the situation is just so completely overwhelming and you don't know, I mean, you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, best thing you do, point them back to the example of Jesus Christ. That's what it comes down to. If you're a note taker, write this down. 1 Peter 2.21 1 Peter 2.21 for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Christ is the example that we're supposed to follow in every situation in life. And so if you don't know how to handle somebody, if you don't know how to handle a person, you don't know what to do, go look at the example of Jesus. And when you look at the example of Jesus, you will have the picture of what we're supposed to do. Now, Eliphaz's great wisdom once again, verse 20, Job, you're wicked. And then he jumps ahead to say this in verse 34, Job, you're a hypocrite. That's Eliphaz. Job, you're a windbag. You don't fear God. What do you know? God's comfort's not enough. Let me tell you what you should do. You're wicked and you're a hypocrite. Wow. Job's response to that, verse 1, chapter 16. Then Job answered and said, I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall words of wind have an end, or what provokes you that you should answer? You guys are awful, awful friends. I've used this example with you before. Many times in my marriage, Dawn and I, you know, been married, coming up, will be 20 years here next, next year. I have went to Dawn looking for that comfort, for that peace, for that helpmate, that consolation. 
and I've not gotten it. And I don't say this as a joke. You need to know my wife. And once you know my wife, you'll say, wow, James, you're a saint. But, you know, it's one of those things where I go to her, and I've shared this joke with you before. Well, I'll say something to the fact of, you know, I need some encouragement. I need some support. I need that cheerleader. And Dawn's response is always, well, then you should have married a cheerleader. Should have married a cheerleader. That's what she always says. She's not that personality. Now, here's the thing about that. I sometimes want that. I didn't get that. I didn't marry that. And that's actually probably pretty good. Because, see, God says very clearly in Genesis chapter 2 that God has given me a helpmate. And the helpmate that fits me perfectly. I've noticed a lot of times when I do marriage counseling with a couple, that thing that that wife does that really annoys that husband... It's exactly what that husband needs. That thing that the husband does that really annoys the wife, that's exactly what that wife needs. See, if I had a cheerleader like that with Dawn, I would just sit on my bed and do little pity parties, and she would say, let me bake you cookies, and you know, all this other type of stuff. She doesn't do that. I am not kidding. One of of Dawn's favorite phrases to say to me and our five boys is very simply, buck up and be a man. That's what she says. There's not enough time for this. Job's friends are coming to Job and throwing all this stuff at him. Job's response is, you're miserable comforters. You are. And he goes on to say this. Verse 4, if I also could speak as you do, if your soul were in my soul's place, I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you. If you guys were in my spot, I could say things to you. But, verse 5, I would strengthen you with my mouth and the comfort of my lips you would relieve your grief. Job says, if you were in my spot, I could tear you down, but I'm not going to tear you down. He goes, I would encourage you. I would help you. But Job says this, verse 6, Though I speak, my grief is not relieved. If I remain silent, how am I eased? So if I speak, nothing helps. If I stay quiet, nothing helps. Basically, I can't win. So this is what Job thinks has happened. Follow this along. Verse 7, God has worn me out. Verse 8, God has shriveled me up. Verse 9, God has teared me up. Verse 12, God has shattered me. That's what Job feels has happened. He sums it up very simply put. Look at verse 1 of chapter 17. My spirit is broken. My days are extinguished. The grave is ready for me. I mean, Job's done. He, He just wants to be done. I'll be honest. Have you ever felt that way in your life? God is just against you. God has worn me out. He shriveled me up. He's tore me up. He has shattered me. My spirit is broken. My spirit is broken. Proverbs 17 says this. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Have you ever seen somebody with a broken spirit? That's sad. You know, there's a lot of times that we have gone to hospital visits, we've gone to hospice care, we've gone to nursing home visits, and you see people that are literally on their deathbed, but their spirit's not broken. And you walk away actually encouraged and uplifted, even though they're the ones that are at death's door. But then you see somebody in life get what I call a spiritual hangnail, and they are just completely dried up. Man, those roller coaster Christians are tough. One day, God is good, he's amazing, he's great, and they can move mountains. And the next day, what good does it matter? What good does it do? Prayer doesn't do any good. And it's this up and down, this up and down. And when you see a spirit being broken, oh, man, that's tough. That's tough. Because when somebody's spirit is broken, they're basically reaching a point where they said, I've given up. 
Job says this, 17.1, my spirit is broken, my days are extinguished. Jump ahead to verse 11 of chapter 17. My days are past, my purposes are broken off. Even the thoughts in my heart. Job says, I have no purpose anymore. Now think about that. that. From Job's perspective, is that not true? I mean, he's in awful health. He's lost his kids. He's lost his servants, his possessions. He's lost everything. What is my purpose? Boy, when you run into somebody who's sitting there trying to say, what is my purpose? My spirit is broken. My life is broken. God is against me. I just want to die. And that's where Job's at at this point and at this moment right here. Remember, as we've said many times in our study in the book of Job, this is one of the most honest books in the Bible. Imagine you in your deepest, darkest time having your thoughts and words recorded. This is what's going on here with Job. We see a man at the bottom of the pit. And this is what he struggles with. Now, does anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything here before we kind of move on with anything else? Okay. So we kind of have Job here at the bottom. But don't worry, chapter 18, Bildad. Bildad's going to come cheer him up. Bildad's great response, verse 2. How long till you put an end to words, gain understanding, and afterwards we will speak? If you want that paraphrase a little bit, Job, when you're smart enough, we can talk. Gain understanding, and afterwards we will speak. That's a great marriage verse as well, too. Tell that to your spouse. You know what, honey? When you're smart enough to have a conversation with me, we can talk. Job 18, verse 2. That won't go over real well. See, these guys have reached a point now where it's just this nitpicking and just this attacking each other. And this goes back to our verse. Too much talk leads to sin. There's, there's no care here. There's no comfort. They want to prove that they're right. So, just be honest. Have you ever gotten yourself into an argument with somebody and you're not worrying about who's spiritually right? You just want to win the fight. See, this is what's happening with these guys. No one's caring anymore about what Job is going through. Dare I even say Job's not even caring about what he's going through. This is now just a battle and a fight between each other to decide who's better. When you're smart enough, Job, we can talk. You know why? Because look at verse 5. You're wicked, Job. The light of the wicked indeed goes out and the flame of his fire does not shine. And then Bildad goes down this long list that basically says, Job, you're wicked. Because, Job, if you weren't wicked, these things would not be happening to you. I think it's important almost every week that we make this point. So often we base our life experiences on us, meaning this. If things are going good in my life, well, then obviously I'm doing something good enough to be blessed. If something's bad going on in my life, well, then obviously I'm doing something bad and God is trying to curse me and punish me. Now, here's the hard part about that. According to Galatians, you do reap what you sow. I mean, if I go out and I decide to spend an evening and I get completely wasted and I go home and I have a car accident and I hit another car and the next thing I know I'm spending 30 days in jail, I can't sit there and say, Lord, why? I know why. I made choices. Choices lead to ramification. And that sin brought me to where I'm at. But there's a lot of times in life we just kind of sit here and we say, Lord, why? I mean, Lord, why? I mean, you you have the... Transmission go bad, the roof starts leaking, and I've been feeling awful now for three weeks straight. Lord, what are you trying to do here? You know I've been praying, I've been seeking you, and I'm just not getting anything. Lord, what is going on? And there's still theology today. There's still people that will teach you, well, obviously you have done something wrong. Because God just wants to bless you. And I agree with that. 
God just wants to bless you. Here's the problem with that word bless. What is your definition of blessed versus what is God's definition of blessed? See, so often you hear people have their own definition of blessed. Well, what's blessed? Health, wealth, and happiness. That's blessed. God's definition of blessed may be Daniel at the bottom of the lion's den. God's definition of blessed may be Noah and seven family members on an ark for a year, riding out a storm. There's complete definitions and different definitions of blessed. And we have to remember, it's not about what our definition is, it's what God's definition is. And I think about this a lot with Romans, where it says that God works good in all things. Psalms, God is good and does good. As we mentioned many times out here before, what is God's definition of good versus what is our definition of good? There may be things in your life right now that you do not deem good. God may say it's good. Because this is working a purpose that you cannot see, that you may not fully understand at this time. And the question comes up, can you have faith to trust Him? See, Bildad, when you get wisdom, Job will talk. Because Job, basically, you're wicked. Job's response, verse 1 of chapter 19, Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment my soul and break me in pieces with words? Job says, You guys just keep tearing me down again and again and again. How long will you attack me with words? Basically, Job says it's bad. Jump ahead to verse 16. I call my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg him with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife, and I am repulsive to the children of my own body. Even young children despise me. I rise, and they speak against me. All my close friends abhor me, and those whom I love I have turned against me. My bone clings to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. It's bad. Now, at this point... There's nothing that his friends can say to him to take away that pain. There's not. Just like when you run into someone today, and if they are in a Job moment in their life, there's nothing you can say to them to take away the pain. The only thing you can do is point them back towards Jesus Christ. Really, Christianity is really just pointing people towards Jesus, isn't it? I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? My whole life is I'm supposed to point people towards Christ through my words, through my actions, through my witness, and whatever I do, how can I point people towards Christ? I've used this example with you many times before. Forgive me for the repetition, but when Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest human that has ever lived, born of a woman, why? He just always pointed people towards Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to do, is point people towards Christ. I think so often we carry this burden of, I need to fix this problem. I need to have these deep spiritual answers. No, I don't. I need to give them Jesus. Because Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus said in John 14, my peace I give to you. You don't want the peace of James. You want the peace of Jesus. And see, and this is what we need to remember to do as Christians. Keep giving them Christ. And if you keep giving people Christ, then you're doing a pretty good job. See, because people know, even in the moments of darkness, God is still there. Look at verse 25 of Job 19. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know. That in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. That's a great passage. Now, do you ever realize that that passage is smack dab in the middle of the book of Job? Now, don't you wish we could kind of just end right there? 
And the Bible would say that Eliphaz and Bildad and everybody said, Oh, Job, you're right. And then God appeared and said, Oh, Job, amen. And everybody was happy. See, he has this brief moment. Brief moment. But then guess what happens? He goes right back to where he was. It's like a little bit of light that shines in the darkness. It's just a tiny bit of light. Enough to reveal, but then it goes right back to where it was. It's almost like when you have one of those pitch black, dark night thunderstorms. And when that lightning flashes, it's just a brief light that you can see for a second. Then it goes right back to the darkness and the storm. There's a brief moment here where Job says, I get it. I get it. Keep your hand here in Job. Let's go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, please. A little bit of light and darkness. See, God allows the darkness. Because sometimes it's in the darkness, that's the only time we stop and listen. I mentioned to you before, I can't remember if it was on a Sunday or a Wednesday recently. Um, I wish I could tell you that I'm always faithful and strong in prayer and in the Word, etc. But the truth is, when I'm going through tough times, I pray more. When I'm going through tough times, I read more. I study more. That's the truth. And it's just during those times that you really stop and say, Lord, it's just you and me. I had a situation that happened not too long ago, and it was kind of a tough time. and just needed some time to get away. And my getaway spot is the Deschler Reservoir. I just go walk around the reservoir. And I walked around the reservoir with my Bible and just stop every now and then just read and pray and just read and pray. Now, that's because times are rough. Now, the next time I have a great day and everything's going well and the sun is shining, I say, hey, Lord, let's just go to the reservoir and spend time together. No, I'll probably find something else to spend my time with. But when things are rough, it drives me back to Jesus. See, the writer of Psalm 119 knows this. Look at Psalm 119, verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant. O Lord, according to your word, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted... I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Look at those two verses one more time. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Listen to most people's testimonies. A lot of people's testimonies are, they were going through a rough patch, a rough time in life. They had no place to turn but God, and guess what happened? Their affliction led them to the Lord. Their affliction led them to the Lord. I've come to the conclusion a lot of times, if you have unsaved friends and loved ones, maybe you've got an unsaved child, an unsaved grandchild, or just a friend or a spouse... Sometimes that affliction is the most loving thing that God can do to get their attention. But isn't it amazing? We try so hard to keep our loved ones out of affliction. We try so hard to keep us out of affliction where God says, I want to use it to make things better. I want to use it to make things better. One more time, look at those verses, 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. 
When we are afflicted, we pray more, we read more, we fast more, we go to the Lord more. I got this journal that I've been using now for probably about two years. And I take my notes in it when I do devotions, etc. And every now and then I like to go back and read. And when I go back and read at some of the verses I've uh, wrote down or some of the points that I feel like the Lord's laid on my heart, almost every one of them came out of a moment of darkness. Because I'm like, Lord, I need you. I really, really need you. Lord, my world is so dark right now. I need you. Job, in the middle of this darkness, this absolute darkness, he has just this spiritual epiphany. Back to Job 19, verse 25. I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eye shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. That's amazing. That's got theology all over the place on it. Redeemer, we got salvation there. We got the resurrection. After my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Okay, I don't know if Job knew it or not. He just said an amazing statement. It's pretty impressive. And going back and looking at some of the stuff that I've written down, wow, that was good. I don't ever want to go through that again. But wow, Lord, thank you. Some of my favorite Psalms are David going through an awful time. Think about that. That darkness is actually good. For a note taker, just two quick verses. Psalm 18, 28. Psalm 18, 28. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. Isaiah 42, 16. And I will lead the blind in a way they do not know, and paths they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light. The rough places into level ground. I will turn the darkness before them into light. Maybe you're in a spot right now in life where the only thing you see is darkness. And God says, I actually want to flip that around and make that light. And that's exactly what the Lord does. Now we're going to talk a little bit here about what this means, but that's my idea of my Redeemer. But before we do that, anybody got any quick questions, comments? Ryan. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, and I think at the time when he was writing that, I think he's writing that to make his case, to make his point. You know, that idea of, oh, let me write this down to make sure this is true. And people know my side of the story. And little does he know probably what the Lord would be using with this thousands of years later. And we also have a thing. Surely. Mm. For all the years that I've been blind, it's never been lighter. That's what Shirley said. You know, and, that, and that's an amazing statement for what she just said right there that I praise God for. And I, and I know I've shared this story with you before. And once again, forgive me for repeating it. Um, I had a real good pastor friend by the name of Ed Gaines, who used to be the pastor of Calvary Chapel down in Cincinnati. Had a lot of health issues, was on dialysis for years, just not a lot of health. And I remember him telling how when he first got saved, he would just pray and beg and plead for healing. And he knew the healing would come. People were anointing him. He knew the healing would come. And what would happen is the healing never came. And then through this dialysis and all these health issues, he started realizing how many people he got a chance to witness to. Nurses and doctors and people on dialysis that he would get a chance to share Christ with. 
So then as he would teach and preach, people would come up to him and say, Pastor Ed, I'm praying for your healing. And Ed said, no, please don't. (laughs) I have a ministry with this, he said. I have a ministry with this affliction. That's an amazing thing to think about. Lord, that this affliction actually can bring people to Jesus Christ. This darkness can bring light. See, that's what we're talking about here. In the midst of this darkness, there's some light. And we've got to remember that. It is so easy in the midst of darkness to get depressed and discouraged and to allow this darkness to overwhelm you. But really what Job says here, hey, I know my Redeemer lives. I'm going to stand before Him in my flesh and see Him. Wow. That's very powerful. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Liz. Wow, let me find light in my darkness and glory, thy light, his light. And thy glory in my valley. I mean, you think about that. Think back to Psalm 23, one probably one of the most recognizable psalms. You know, yea, that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. See, that's the thing is, we try to stay out of the valley of the shadow of death as much as we possibly can. But it's really in the valley of the shadow of death that we're closer to our Savior and we're closer to our Lord and we pray more and we read more. I mean, it's just the truth. And, and God says, okay, I can use these dark times to grow you. So, yeah, Cindy. When you're walking in the valley of the shadow of death, you learn to trust God Yeah, you know, because I may not be here tomorrow for you to be angry at me. That's right. And there's a lot of truth to that. When you start realizing that you're living for eternity and not living for this world, it really changes everything. I mean, it changes everything. But yet, we are so focused on this world. I mean, we're so focused on the house and the bills and the mortgage and the yard. And you fill in the blank. You know what we're focused on. When really the Lord has been trying to tell us, set your mind on heavenly things. Heavenly things. And I just think it's absolutely crazy. You know, if we really do believe that, you know, Christ could return, and we really do believe that these end times events are coming into order, man, a lot of us, sometimes I look at myself and I'm like, am I really living that way then? You know, and I'm not saying that God has called us to some type of, you know, run to the hills, build a fort, and wait for the return of Jesus. I'm not saying that. He said, occupy till I come. But at the same time, there is a mental mindset of, Lord, if I really believe that you're moving and working here in this time, why don't I live that way? Why don't I live? Let's let let go of these things that so easily bring us down and entangle us, like it says in Hebrews 12, and just get out there and be a light and a witness. Just really live for him. Anybody else have anything here before we go on? All right, this idea of redeemer is a fascinating word. 
Um, you see it there in verse 25. This idea of redeemer in the original Hebrew carries so much with it. If you remember back in the law, this idea of the kinsman redeemer. That's just what it's talking about. Back in the law, if you had lost your property and possessions, one of your relatives could come and redeem you. Redeem it. You know, if you've been taken as a slave, one of your relatives could come and set you free. Could redeem you. And this is what Job is saying. Job is saying, I have somebody that's going to restore back what was lost. I have somebody who is going to set me free. I have somebody that's going to bring this all back and take care of it for me. I know that and I trust that. See, and that's the point here that I think sometimes we lose in the here and now. As the Bible says, whatever sufferings I'm going through now pale in comparison to the glory that's awaiting us in heaven. It just completely utterly pales to that. But we walk with such an earthly perspective and not a heavenly perspective. Man, what would happen if we just kind of started saying, Lord, I just want to live for you always, all things, all day. And just see what would happen. Because I know that my Redeemer lives. I know I'm going to stand before him. In my flesh, I shall see him. This really kind of changes everything, doesn't it? At a pastor's conference a few years ago, one of the pastors got up and he talked about uh, his wife. His wife of many years, I think it was probably about 40 years, um, died of cancer. And he talked through, and through the whole thing of when they got the diagnosis and everything that happened and the very long, drawn-out uh, situation that it was. But he made a comment I've never forgot. He goes, you know what? As soon as we heard that she was diagnosed with cancer, he goes, we never had a single argument from that point forward. Because we stopped and we realized, what's the point? Isn't that true? What's the point? I mean, think about that. For you that are married, or maybe other people, co-workers, friends, and family, think about the last few maybe arguments you've had with a loved one. I mean, was it about some deep theological, spiritual matter? You know, like, were you battling over Romans 15? Probably not. It was over something small, something simple, something that does not carry any weight in eternity in any way whatsoever. But we allow those little things in this world to get the best of us. And that's what about Job here in Job 19. In the midst of this darkness, there's a brief moment of light. There's just a brief moment of light. And that's what happens a lot in our darkness. Lord, there's a brief moment of light. I see it now. I get it. Now, Lord, help me to remember this and to live for this and to go forward in your spirit with this and all I do and say. Because it's not about the here and now. It's about eternity, impacting eternity for Christ. Now, what I want to close with is Psalm 88. You know what we've been doing here in Job? It's really easy to focus on all the negative with Job. So after every study here, I've always wanted to go to something that's a pick-me-up, that's an encouragement. Psalm 88. Once again, if you're going through a Job moment, this psalm may be the psalm you need to hear. If you're going to run into somebody this week who's going through a Job moment, this may be the psalm that you need to pass along to them. Start here in verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation. Psalm 88, verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to me. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead. Like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit. In darkness, there's our word again, in darkness and the depths, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me, and there's our word again, with all your waves. Selah, stop, 
meditate, pause, think about it. Verse 8, you have put away from me acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot go out. My eyes waste away because of my affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Selah. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They come around me all day, long like water. They engulf me altogether. Loved one and friend you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. That's probably one of the most honest psalms you're ever going to read. This is somebody that is just struggling. Just completely struggling with everything that's going on. And what does he do? He says in verse 1, I'm going to cry out day and night to you, Lord. Verse 2, I'm going to pray to you. Verse 13, in the morning my prayers are going to come to you. What's he doing in his time of darkness? Lord, I'm just going to cling to you. I'm not going to let go. I'm just going to keep in the word. I'm going to keep in the prayer. I'm just going to trust you, and I'm just going to be with you. Please note that most of the time with these psalms that we read, starts out rough, gets better in the middle, and then usually ends with some type of praise. This psalm stays pretty rough. But at the same time, you see the plan of action in here. Lord, I will cling to you in the morning. I will cling to you in the evening. I will cry out to you. You, Lord, you alone, I will cry out. And God's going to be the one that gets him through it. And just like with Job, in the midst of that darkness, I know my Redeemer lives. And that gives him hope and confidence and strength. As we've said many weeks out here in our study in Job, you may be going through a Job moment, and if you are... I hope that that passage blesses you and encourages you and helps you. And if you're not going through a Job moment, when you run into somebody who is, I hope you can take these words and say, okay, I want to encourage you. I want to point you back towards Jesus, where Christ said, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So we'll continue on with our study in Job next week. Is there any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up? All right, let's pray. Oh, sorry, let's go ahead. Thank you. Thank you for not assaulting people at work. We appreciate that greatly. I just want you to know Jesus for crying out loud. That's right. 
I think that was called the Inquisition. It didn't work out real well. So, yeah, it's the love of God that compels man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just the time to be here and just to grow in you. And um, Lord, really simply, we just, we just want to point people towards you. That's all we want to do. We just want to point people towards you and how we live and how we act and all that we do. Um, thank you, Lord, for letting us even have the opportunity to point people towards you. What a blessing that is. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. Don't forget Fellowship Meal next Wednesday. I hope you can make it out for that. Hey, we'll have a time of prayer up here. If anybody has anything they want to pray about, feel free to pop on up. And we'll pray. If not, you guys have a good week, a good evening, and God bless.